congregation, the text for this afternoon's sermon is the passage from the passage we read from. Our focus will be on the chapter 2, the verses 1 through 10. And after the proclamation of God's word, let us respond in song. Let us sing from Psalm 147, the stanzas 1 and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this past Monday was what we called Reformation Day. This is on this day we remember how Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door there in Wittenberg, Germany. And in this way, God began his great work of reforming his church. And he worked a thorough reformation of his church. And this is our heritage. This is why we are called today the Canadian Reformed Church. Yes, using his word and spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ reformed and revitalized his church, which had experienced major deformation. Now, beloved, the church is always in need of reformation. Also today, and yes, we live in a day and age in which the church is minimized, it's downplayed, where people say, well, as long as you believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter whether you go to church. Indeed, for many, church membership is passe. And even among ourselves, where is that real commitment to the church of Christ? Where is our love, where is our zeal for for his congregation, where is our faithfulness in, in being involved in the communion of saints? Well, there are so many other things in life to keep us busy besides the church. And God's church can easily become an afterthought. Sure, we go to church once for sure, maybe twice on Sunday, but beyond that, we're not too involved. Indeed, where are we in, in building up the church of Christ? Where are we in seeking her renewal? And yet our Lord Jesus Christ did say, I will build my church. In fact, he was building his church before them. In the Old Testament, as we will see this afternoon, yes, God used men like Nehemiah to rebuild his church. For yes, the church is an ongoing construction project. And are we, yes, also really committed church builders? And so this afternoon we turn our attention to the book of Nehemiah, a book also known as Second Ezra, a book which is often forgotten, a book which is about God's gracious work of rebuilding of his city, of his church. And so God's word then comes to us this afternoon, summarized under this theme, in answer to Nehemiah's request, the Lord sends him to rebuild Jerusalem. And we'll pay attention first to the reason for this request. Second, the nature of this request. And third, the answer to this request. Repeat, in answer to Nehemiah's request, the Lord sends him to rebuild Jerusalem. We'll pay attention first to the reason, and second to the nature, and then lastly, the answer to this request. It's beloved, it all happened when when Nehemiah was serving in the presence of King Artaxerxes and his wife. And the king asked his cupbearer, 
Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but the sadness of the heart. And so this opportunity came for Nehemiah to explain his sadness and, and also then to make this very important request. Because there was a reason why Nehemiah was sad and why we would make a request of his king. And to find the reason, we need to consider the distressing time in which, which Nehemiah lived. Now Nehemiah lived in the time after the remnant of God's people had returned from exile in Babylon. Remember, the Babylonians had come many years before and had conquered and completely destroyed Jerusalem, including God's temple. And then the holy city of God lay in ruins for the 70 years of the exile. And then as great as the Babylonian empire was, yet it too was conquered by, by the rival empire of the Medes and the Persians under the leadership of Cyrus. And this meant that the center of world power moved east from Babylon to Susa, to the capital of the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And this is where we find, yes, Nehemiah living. They're in the citadel of Susa, the capital of the Medes and the Persians. He was there serving King Artaxerxes as his cupbearer. As obviously Nehemiah was one of God's people who did not return from exile to the promised land. For it was, yes, King Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians who, who shortly after he conquered the Babylonian Empire and gave permission to God's people to, to return to the promised land, to rebuild the temple of God and his holy city of Jerusalem. And so a first wave of God's people returned to the promised land, to Jerusalem, led by Zerubbabel and and Joshua, the high priest, some 50,000 people returned to the land God promised them. And when they came back there, they experienced much opposition from those who had taken over the area. And yes, living faithfully as God's people was a real challenge. And then there was a second wave. A second wave of God's people returned to the promised land. As the second wave came 80 years later was led by Ezra as he led back several thousand people. And what did they come back to? They came back to a very bad situation. Sure, the temple had been rebuilt, but the walls, the gates of Jerusalem were still in ruins. And the people of God living there hardly served him. You say the church was experiencing deformation. And so Ezra went to work among God's people. Yeah, there was strong opposition to Ezra's work, to Ezra's efforts, which eventually led King Artaxerxes to order a stop to the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And so you can read there in Ezra 4. And it is in this time then that Nehemiah comes on the scene. He would arrive eventually in Jerusalem some 15 years after Ezra, and the same problems were still there. Now, Nehemiah got to hear about this trouble and disgrace from the relatives who had come back to visit in Susa. Hanani, one of his brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And Nehemiah asked them about the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile. And he also asked about Jerusalem. He asked them about what was really important 
It's his first questions you can say were not about the weather, about the trip back, but, but about Jerusalem, about God's people who had returned. How, how was the faithful remnant doing back there? How were they surviving in the face of opposition? How far were they in rebuilding Jerusalem's walls? For what was so special about Jerusalem? My beloved, this is where the Lord God lived among his people. This is where the temple of the Lord God was standing. Where his ministry of reconciliation took place. This was not any old city. This was the holy city of God. Where his people would assemble and worship before him. Sure, Nehemiah lived in far away Susa. And being a servant of a great king, the king of the Medes and the Persians, he was not free to just go back. Yet his heart, his heart was with that faithful remnant there in Jerusalem. And so what we see here is his real love, his real love for Jerusalem, for the people of God. And do we have the same love for God's people, for the church today? For here, yes, also in the church, we have the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, through the preaching here, God calls us to be reconciled with himself and with one another by, by Christ's blood and spirit. And it is here that we may share the joy of the communion of saints. Really, his church should not be some small sideshow in our lives. His church should not be something we, we give only two hours on Sunday for and nothing more. No, she should have our love, our concern at all times. As, as we sang there in Psalm 137, Jerusalem, for love of you I cry, my right hand wither if I you deny. Well, Nehemiah did sit down and, and cry. Yes, he wept. He mourned for days when he heard what was happening to God's people, what was going on back there in Jerusalem. Really, the report from there was, was sad. As he was told, the remnant who had survived the exile was in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem were still broken down and their gates still destroyed by fire. Indeed, no rebuilding of the city had happened. And with the walls still in ruins, Jerusalem was vulnerable to her enemies. And this way, God's people lived like the world around them. You could hardly tell that they were believers. What's more, they also faced poverty and oppression and even slavery. They were also much, very much complacent. They thought things were just fine as they were. What's more is that they would not be called strongly committed members of, of God's church. For example, they were not financially contributing to the church as they should have. Really, they were not what we call involved at all. They were each doing their own thing, whatever suited them. Things were really going downhill in Jerusalem among God's people. Really, this city was no refuge for them. It made you wonder, did God truly live among his people in this city which had no walls, no gates? Was there really any hope for God's people when Jerusalem, the heart of the nation, remained a pile of ruins? 
Well, Nehemiah was devastated by this report. At first he was weeping. And then he was mourning. Soon he was fasting and, and also praying. This was indeed the proper response to what was happening to God's city. To his people who had returned. Oh, notice there was no, no anger towards or blaming God or others. Notice also that Nehemiah did not stop praying. Oh, it happens when, when in the church things go, go south in a hurry. Rather than intensifying in prayer, we, we stop praying. And then you hear it said, praying, what's the use? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't help. And then people become bitter and angry. And that's not the case here with Nehemiah. He's not paralyzed in action, with bitterness. No, in his love for the church, he intensifies his prayer for her. He calls out, O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God. Yes, even as he has received this sad report, Nehemiah's faith in God remains. For our Lord God is indeed great and awesome in his power. He had worked powerfully in the past. And he would do so again, yes, in faithfulness to his covenant. For remember, he is our covenant God. He is the one who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He is ever faithful, unlike his people. They were indeed obligated to love God and keep his commands, but as Nehemiah confessed, they did not always do so. As he said to God, we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Well, you notice Nehemiah doesn't exclude himself from the sins of God's people as he prays to God. Yes, even I and my father's house have sinned. Talk about a humble man. He acknowledges his personal guilt. Well, you know how easy it is to blame others when things go wrong in our personal life or, or in church life. We can quickly be filled with criticism of God, of others, pointing out the many wrongs and sins of others. My beloved God cannot use such haughty people in his church building work. With such an attitude, they're ripping down rather than building up. Really to build his church, beloveds. We need first of all to be humble before the Lord God and one another. We need to take a good look at ourselves. When it comes to building the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, we must come first in confession of our own sins and shortcomings. We shouldn't play them down. I think we have no sins and shortcomings. Now as Nehemiah confessed to God, we have acted corruptly against you, have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules. And yet then Nehemiah pleads on God's promises. As he says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, Lord God, your covenant mercy. He says, Nehemiah, praying to the Lord God, indeed, if we are unfaithful, you, Lord God, will scatter us. But if we are faithful, we will be gathered from exile and brought back to the place where you have chosen to make your name dwell. And that place was Jerusalem. Indeed, the work of rebuilding Jerusalem, of gathering his people there, is it all depends upon the Lord's mercy and grace. 
And this is why the need for prayer. For only with God's help, His people could rebuild Jerusalem. And also only with us too. With God's help, we can rebuild Jerusalem, the church of Christ. Is it first of all a matter of prayer? And then also of work. And Nehemiah made this clear in this prayer that he would get to work. He would take action. As he said to God there in prayer, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. As Nehemiah would go to the king, he would go to King Artaxerxes. As his royal decree about not rebuilding Jerusalem needed to be overturned. Well, this would be risky business for, for Nehemiah. But he would go with the Lord God to this king. It's in his love for Jerusalem and his love for the church, he would make his request. And that brings us then to our second point, the nature of this request. And so it was about, about four months after Nehemiah received that sad report about Jerusalem. And he finally had the opportunity to make that request. Clearly, Nehemiah didn't act on the same day he prayed. And why did he wait? Was he waiting for the right time to put on a sad face in front of the king? It doesn't appear to be so. More likely was that Nehemiah simply did not have the opportunity to make his request about Jerusalem. For Artaxerxes may have simply not been around there in, in Susa at the time. He may have been away at his winter palace. It was not uncommon for great rulers like him to have a winter and a summer palace. And may have been in the other palace when, yes, Nehemiah offered up this prayer to the Lord God. And yes, Nehemiah was part of, you would say, this palace staff. He was, as we're told here in Nehemiah 1, a cupbearer to the king. Understand this was no menial job at all. It was a very important position in, in the palace, in the kingdom. To hold this position, Nehemiah would have been well trained in, in court etiquette. He would know how to, to conduct himself in, in front of the king. And yes, as a cupbearer, he would also know how to select wine for the king. It was his task to, to taste the king's wine. Prevent poisoning. And yes, tied in with this work was also then the work of guarding, guarding the royal chambers. And as a result, Nehemiah was someone who was then very close to the king, who would have his ear, you would say. He was the most trusted royal official. And you say a key man, enjoyed considerable influence with the king. Now here was Nehemiah serving in the presence of this king, King Artaxerxes, but also the queen. What occasion this was, we don't know for sure. There was obviously some special occasion where the king and the queen were enthroned side by side. Now whoever served in the presence of the great Persian king was expected to serve with great happiness. For everyone was to be honored to be allowed to serve in his presence. And even if you had distress in your personal life, 
He still came into the king's presence with great deference and with great joy. No one, no one was permitted to, to put a damper on the celebration in his royal presence. Now here we have Nehemiah doing his duty in the king's presence, but, but obviously his heart was not in it. As he wrote, I, I had not been sad in his presence before. And here he was sad in his presence. And really, you didn't want to be sad in the presence of such a great king. To even look a bit grumpy could mean losing his favor. You could even be put to death if you didn't watch it. So everyone who served in the presence of the king made a point of looking cheerful and happy. But you could say Nehemiah couldn't do it anymore. It was all too much. He he was down about what was happening, God's people back there in the promised land in Jerusalem. And thinking about him, really he couldn't be cheery in front of the king of the Medes and the Persians. And the king picked up on it. He noticed, he noticed that something was not quite right with, with Nehemiah. And so the king asked him, why does your face look sad when you're not sick? This can be nothing but the sadness of the heart. You see, this king was observant, paying close attention to those around him. And he had asked Nehemiah what was wrong, and Nehemiah probably told him he wasn't sick or ill. And then at this point, the king asked him, well, why? Why then does, does your face look so sad when you're not sick? Are you suffering from a broken heart? And the truth was, Nehemiah was. You say he was depressed about the situation of God's people back in Jerusalem. He couldn't shake his concern for, for Jerusalem. It was on his mind night and day. And now here was the opportunity to say something to the king. As the Lord God gave him this opportunity, for the Lord God is in control. He governs the course of events also in Nehemiah's life. Yet the sudden question from the king made Nehemiah very much afraid. As he said, then I was very much afraid. And who would not be standing before such a great king who, if, if someone said the wrong word, could be put to death? Well, it's one of those moments where you can sweat buckets. Wondering, what am I going to say now? You want to say the right thing? Well, Nehemiah did. As he said to the king, may the king live forever. You could say Nehemiah kept it together. And so he spoke up for the cause of God's covenant people back there in the promised land. For he was about to ask, yes, the king to change his imperial policy for God's people. And ask him to allow him to go back to the land to rebuild the city which before had been rebellious. And so, yes, Nehemiah decided that this was the God-given time to speak up, regardless of the consequences. And God gave him the strength, the wisdom to speak as he did. You can see he was wise, he was tactful in, in his address. He knew the court etiquette very well. And that's why he said, may the king live forever. It shows that the question was about to ask would, was no threat to the king at all. And so he asked, why? Why should my face not look sad when the cities 
where my fathers are buried, lies in ruins and is destroyed by fire. To put it another way, why should I be happy when things are not going well in the city of my ancestors? You notice, Nehemiah doesn't mention the name of the city, the city of Jerusalem. He's very careful, very cautious. As he speaks about the city, the place of his father's graves, in this way he may have touched the king and his servants who had a great respect for their forefathers. If even your deceased forefathers who are no threat at all cannot rest in peace, something is obviously wrong here. And so you see, Nehemiah said it. He finally said what what was his concern. But more had to be said. And the king clues into this. As he said to Nehemiah, what is it that you want? Like, get to the point, Nehemiah. But before Nehemiah continues, he prays. It's a short, spontaneous prayer to the God of heaven. If ever Nehemiah needed help, he needed it now. So he was driven to our almighty and sovereign God. And then he asked, then he, he made his request, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let me, let me be sent to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. Talk about bold, talk about courageous. Let me go to build the city of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, the church of the living God, the city which the king had earlier called the place of rebellion, the city which the king expressly decreed should not be rebuilt until so ordered. And now we have here Nehemiah asking to be sent on an official mission from the king of the Medes and the Persians to reconstruct Jerusalem as a fortress. And what would the king say? The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked Nehemiah, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? And as Nehemiah concluded with that question, it pleased the king to send me, so, so I set a time. It was a go for Nehemiah. He could go back to rebuild. And so Nehemiah wasn't finished with his questions, his requests. It's not all that he asked for, not just for permission to return. As he also said to the king, if it pleases the king, may letters be given to me for the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Basically, Nehemiah was asking for letters of recommendation from the king so he could travel safely across the river Euphrates into Judah. And yes, the governors in the province on the other side of this river would have to supply them with safe passage. And then he asked for one more thing, for a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forests, and he might give timber. For what did he need timber for? For rebuilding. To make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the walls of the city, for his own house. And with this official letter, he could get all the timber he needed for rebuilding Jerusalem. Talk about seeking an official endorsement of his plan for rebuilding God's church. 
And this was well planned from what you can read here. Nehemiah had no half-baked scheme at all. In a well-thought-out plan for rebuilding Jerusalem, he knew how he would actually rebuild it, with what material he would do it. He says, as a church builder, he had courage, he had vision, even if it meant risking his own life. And beloved, how much more courage, how much more vision did our Lord Jesus Christ, the chief church builder, have? Even giving his own life for the church. And so he's also building his church today. He's building on the basis of his one sacrifice. Yes, in Jesus Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him we too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives with his spirit. Yes, thanks to his spirit, we can be church builders. Church builders with courage, with vision. Yes, so we can build with his guidance and his direction as he gives it to us in his word. Yes, we have all what we need to build, to rebuild also this congregation. And so he makes his request. And what is the answer? And that brings us to our last point. What was the answer to Nehemiah's request? Well, as Nehemiah noted, the king granted my requests. Artaxerxes responded favorably. This is amazing. It's remarkable. Was it a case of Nehemiah catching the king on a good day? Well, this is not a case of good luck for Nehemiah. Sure, King Artaxerxes needs someone to rebuild a strong, loyal city close to the border of Egypt, and, and Nehemiah fit the bill. In fact, Nehemiah was loyal to King Artaxerxes. He was someone he could count on. Unlike the local ruler or satrap Megabysis who had had recently rebelled against him. But beloved, the ultimate reason for why this request was was granted was given by by Nehemiah himself. It's as he says here, For the hand, the good hand of my God was upon me. It's the decision was given by the Lord our God, our Heavenly Father. It is He alone who in this amazing way directed the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Yes, so the Lord God commissioned Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king, to become the, the chief construction worker of Christ's church. Yes, he knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God was sending him to Jerusalem. That God would be with him in the hazards and the uncertainties and the troubles which would come when, in rebuilding the city. And so the Lord God directed the mighty king of the Medes and the Persians to grant this request of Nehemiah. It's as it says in Proverbs 21, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Really, King Artaxerxes of the Medes and the Persians did only what our God and Father directed. Yes, this mighty king of the Medes and the Persians is also subject to God's sovereign will and plan. And beloved, the same can be also said today. For is not God's gracious and sovereign hand upon each one of us and also upon the church 
By his hand he upholds and governs all things for the good of of Jerusalem, for the well-being of us as church. Indeed, all things come to us as church, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. As he is in control. And so, yes, Nehemiah went. He came to the governors beyond the river there, and he gave them the king's letters. And the king had sent with Nehemiah officers of the army, as well as horsemen. He came, you could say, with a royal escort. You couldn't miss his coming into Jerusalem. And then there in Jerusalem, there was that opposition. There was Sambalat the Horonite, the governor of Samaria, Tobiah, the Ammonite official. Yes, men who had official imperial support. And they were greatly distressed, disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. The well-being of God's church. Well, the work of rebuilding the church, rebuilding Jerusalem, would not be easy. There was this opposition from within and from outside. It'd be trying political circumstances, it'd be tough economic situation, it'd be the hatred of the unbelieving world, the weaknesses of church members. They would all threaten the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the church, and also today. We face the same kind of opposition, the same challenges. Yet the Lord our God rules over all things through his ascended Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And with his sovereign power, he does move forward in his work of building his church then and now. He enables us to rise up to the challenges. He will move forward in building his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Amen.